Listen, there has never been a better time to invest in self-storage, and there's no better team than ours to show you how to do it because we wrote the book on how to invest in self-storage. Literally, we created the best-selling home study system titled How to Find, Evaluate, Purchase, and Manage Self-Storage Facilities. We have helped thousands of people launch and scale their self-storage business and have become the nation's go-to resource for all things self-storage. That's because we not only talk the talk, we walk the walk day in and day out since 2005 through now. Two recessions and amassing a 2.5 million square feet of self-storage, totaling over 15,000 doors nationwide. There is nobody else that has more experience in self-storage that is teaching people how to invest in self-storage. So if you're ready to launch and scale your self-storage business, then go to selfstorageinvesting.com. Click on the events tab to grab your ticket to the upcoming self-storage academy. So that again is selfstorageinvesting.com. Click on the events tab. Seating is limited. And on behalf of our team, we look forward to seeing you then. Take care. This is the Self Storage Podcast, where we share the knowledge and skills from the industry's leading investors, developers, and operators to help you launch and grow your self-storage business. Your host, Scott Myers, over the past 16 years, has acquired, developed, converted, and syndicated over 2 million square feet of self-storage nationwide with the help of his incredible team at selfstorageinvesting.com, who has helped thousands of people achieve greatness in self-storage. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Self-Storage Podcast. I am your host, Scott Myers, and this week's guest is Chris Long. Chris is a born and raised Canadian who now resides in Florida. Chris ran his own construction company from 2013 until early 2021 and discovered a need in the storage world for contractor storage yards. Now, at the time, he owned a 10-acre commercial property on a main highway in Ottawa. So over the course of a couple years, he worked on the business plan nights and weekends to get the extra $400,000 it took to build out and prove his concept. He cut the ribbon on October 2019 for the grand opening of Long Yards Storage, now Long Yards More Than Storage, and within six weeks was 100% full. He then built out phase two, adding 35 more yards and pre-sold or leased each one with a facility now housing 67 yards and 80 clients. He purchased the property and the additions for $1.1 million. That was his all-in cost, and last year it appraised for $3.64 million. Chris and his partner Seth are members of our self-storage mastermind where we are helping them to expand internationally and guide them in franchising at the model, and we we are so excited about their prospects moving forward. So without further ado, please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation with a brand new niche within self-storage called Long Yards with Chris Long. Chris, so good to see you again. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Excited to be here. Thanks for the time and look forward to seeing you at the next Mastermind. I am as well. It's going to be a great one. As always, we got some really cool things planned, but more than anything, it's just going to be back in the room with everybody because, well, business is good right now. And so I thank you for joining me because I know that you have been extremely busy and I got everybody a little warmed up on your niche within self-storage. And of course, people think that self-storage is a niche in commercial real estate only to find out that there's a handful of niches within this niche called self-storage. And you've got one of the coolest stories and one of the coolest niches that we found. And so the first time that you presented your business, you and Seth, what you're doing in our mastermind, everybody's jaws dropped. We were all looking at each other like, holy cow, these guys have a tiger by the tail. So if you would, again, I've given everybody a little bit of a background and history on how you started your business, but why don't you start from the beginning and just kind of fill in the gaps and tell us a little bit about this concept and this niche that you stumbled across in storage called Long Yard. Yeah, beautiful. So Long Yards, we're basically more than storage and Long Yards, we're storage for the big stuff. So when when you think about outside storage, typically you think about boats and RVs, but 
long yards in our slogan is more than storage because that's what we are more than storage it's so simple yet challenging because it's so new to the marketplace we got to re-educate our clients like re-educate everybody else that's involved because we are different but basically like we do contractor yards so we take land Severed up in the compounds or rentals compounds out. And how I stumbled across it, actually, I started off in the trade early age. I'm a licensed carpenter, been in construction pretty much my whole life. And I had this commercial property. It was eight minutes from my house. And I was like stumbling. I'm like, what am I gonna do with this property? And I was in residential real estate. I had a small portfolio. I turned two houses and duplexes and was running my construction company for close to 10 years. But I always wanted something bigger. I always had a vision to have a, a big business. And so basically I started long yards and I figured I didn't see anyone in Canada doing what I wanted to do, to do contractor yards. So I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, this is so simple. Why doesn't this exist? It's almost like why every client that comes to my yard, they go, oh my God, like how come we haven't seen it? It's like the simplest, most powerful thing. I love hearing it time and time again. And I built a great business from the inside out. I had tools, equipment, trailers at my house, on my driveway. And every time family come over, my wife would be like, Chris, clean up. I'm going to kill you. It looks like garbage. And I, I move my trailers around. I try to make it look good. And I had a two-acre parcel. Like We had a nice, decent home. I had a double garage full of stuff with my all my equipment that a typical contractor has. I'm thinking to myself, like, why isn't there a place that is affordable for me that I can have my own space? That's what we built. And when I say I built it from the inside out, I built it. What does a contractor need? right? So it's more than just what it is on the surface. It's a small business community. We provide power to these yards, we provide cameras, there's lots of security, there's privacy, everyone's helping each other out. We have managers that are kind of bringing the community together. We have, we could offer you like a mailbox, like there's all these additional features. There's a foundation of like putting your stuff in one spot, but there's so much more than that. And I had to rebuild my facility five times the first time to get it right. You think it's simple, but it's not. Everything's a little different and we had to learn that. So First of all, going into this, I was like, okay, I got to do something different. No one backed me. They're like, Chris, you're crazy. You want to build a what? A contractor yard? And I'm like, yeah, it's a fence around stuff outside. People are thinking, <laughs> so no one backed me. I had to basically sell my houses to go all in on this. I sold my houses and I bootstrapped this as a carpenter. I was doing fencing on the weekends. I was cutting trees down with a chainsaw. I was doing everything I could to get this started. Cut the ribbon October 1st. So our third year anniversary is a couple weeks around the corner, which we're super excited about. And within five weeks, we were leased up. And the rest, we were just pre-leasing, pre-building, and the rest is history. I just knew I had something magical and special at that time. That's when I started going all in. Well, I was already all in, but that's when people got behind me. They're like, wow, he's really got something going, right? And the rest is history. So that's basically a little bit about my history with construction and how I founded Long Yards. And I'm happy just to take the conversation wherever it goes, but a little bit about how it started. Here's one of the things that I wanted to pull on. First of all, some of the folks, I mean, we've seen some storage facilities that have leased up pretty quickly, but five weeks and you were leased up. But to give some context to that, how big of a yard was this? At least how many acres? And I know you sectioned it off into compounds, how many compounds or units, if you will, just to give some folks some context and some background as how quick that was. Yeah. So like we were leasing up one yard almost every, you say, week. Basically, we had bigger yards at the front and I pivoted that too. We had different size for the need and we have our kind of our best and most common size, our highest and best use. But basically, like it was within six weeks, we had close to an acre and a half, two acres leased up. But there was pre-marketing. Like with long years now, we've built an entire business model around this. We, we know our avatar for our ideal client. Plus, I was an ideal client, so I understand how to communicate with them the best. So we had pre-marketing campaigns, pre-lease up 
So before we opened the gates, we were already running on the ground before we cut that ribbon to open up. And then the rest was just history. Once you have momentum and you have a good service and a good community, it really starts to roll. But we've built all the systems in the back end to build that. So the context is about an acre and a half in that time frame, but there was heavy lifting in the background to make it look easy on the surface. So what is your ideal size of a yard to start with? Are you looking for seven acres, 10 acres, no limit, sky's the limit? What's ideal? And and I guess the secondary question to that is, over the course of three years, what have you learned about the size of the initial parcel, perhaps maybe that you're going after? So this is a complete loaded question. Very good question. Hard to answer. Because what people are finding with boat and RV, and I don't like to compare it to boat and RV because we really are so different, but you won't find a correlation between what people are charging, what the market rate of self-storage is charging for boat and RV. And there's such a gap. So what we find with what we could charge is it's relevant to what we can get the real estate at. However, we still have like minimal buy box requirement. I mean, it's really dependent on the area, the location, the traffic. There's so many variables that go around and we have our own internal feasibility study. So that's like a complete conversation to dive into, which I'm happy to have on a separate podcast or we can talk about in the mastermind. But you know, the very minimum is we don't want to go under four acres and there's a mm-hmm. bit of economies of scale. You want to keep mm-hmm. your price per acre at an ideal cost. If you're closer, like we're looking at a parcel in Jacksonville, 12 acres, and it's close to the core. And we're willing to pay more per acre, obviously, because we can rent out for more. And the price in Jacksonville is great. Mm-hmm. We're also working on putting a portfolio together. And we realize on the portfolio you have on the exit, there's more value, 30%. So you, we're trying to look at all the factors when we're considering a piece of parcel. But to keep it very simple, we don't want to go under four acres. And we also want to keep the long yards model where we have to have an, enough yards and enough contractor storage to kind of make the brand the brand of what it is. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like the minimum. But we were looking at, like I said, the Jacksonville location, 12 acres, and we're very confident that we can fill that up. It's in a great location and we're not going to say no if the opportunity works. So there's a gentleman here in Indianapolis who had built out a commercial storage facility and he bought an old lumber yard. So it had a mixture of a large lot, a large yard, then some covered where the lumber used to sit with the big metal arms on it, which I'm sure you've seen, and then some buildings, but mostly acreage. And so they converted some of the buildings into contractor units and that's who he's really attracting and so for long yards it sounds like your customer is the exact same as his could put boats and rvs in there but really the price to your point that he's charging from what i can understand was higher in terms of a dollar per square foot even though it's not a dollar per square foot because we're talking about outdoor space but all things being equal he was a to your point these folks didn't have anywhere to go if they couldn't fit everything in a two-car garage like yours and they had vehicles and equipment outside well they couldn't because the homeowners associations won't allow that So it didn't matter how far away from their home they were in terms of a feasibility study and what we look at in terms of storage. And it didn't really, you're right, there was no correlation to the price per square foot or acre from an owner standpoint with regards to what they could charge or what he felt he could charge for the units and the parking spaces and the enclosed units as well, just because there was nothing out there in the market. So there's a question in here. My question is, what do you base that on? You've got three years of history under your belt now, so you've got some history, but when you do your own internal feasibility study, you built one from scratch because you had to, but now you've got a data set that you can refer back to for your own internal feasibility studies because nobody's still going to be able to do this for you. But how did you begin? Did you just begin reverse engineering back from the cost of the land and how much it would cost and looking at boat and RV in the market just to get a gauge? Or how did you arrive at the right pricing model for income and expenses when you first began? Yeah, that's a great question. And there's a little bit of trial and error in the marketplace. So you basically start high in the marketplace and you keep dropping it until people start coming in. (laughs) That's one answer. 
Now, wait a minute, Chris. That's the opposite of what anybody and everybody does. He said, let's fill this sucker up really quick and charge too low of rent. And, and then we'll figure out how to increase it once they come in. So first of all, I, I commend you because that's absolutely what you should be doing. But it's almost complete opposite of what most people do because they're too scared and they think they won't run it up. So kudos to you. Yeah. And then the second part, like any storage facility, and you do a great job teaching this, is when we get to a certain occupancy, that's when we start raising rents. And we know two times of the year you start doing that. So <laughs> and we do treat our clients great. And we want them to stick around. So our business model, we do like to ask before we like, we give value. Okay, here's what we've added to increase your value as a small business. Now we're going to ask for a little bit. You know, but on the very high level, it was like, okay, understand Bowen RV does have a little bit. Like you want to understand what your market is charging approximately price per square foot. And then it gives you kind of like some foundation. It's not difficult to go and find outside storage places, see what they're charging per square foot for your X size amount and use that as as a formula to at least base your minimum price off. So when we do all of our underwriting, like we have our minimums and we use our minimums to be safe and we use kind of like the worst case for build out and interest rate terms and we're still coming out with these ridiculous numbers. But to give you a sense, like, yeah, you start at the top, work your way down. And then of course you, you do have that foundation because what we're providing to the marketplace it's unique. You provide value and you're new. Like why undercharge yourself? We are providing a lot. And that's the thing. That's the magic of long. It's like we have clients that are providing, we have a space and they have a camera in their yard that they can watch their items 24 seven in their yard. We could br bring them power. And there's so much more than that. But the value that we bring to the marketplace has value to the marketplace that we feel like is justified to charge. And to give you a sense of like the first real estate deal that I did, pretty open about it because it changed my life and allowed me to expand into the States. We bought it for 470,000. Granted, this was a property that needed some love. And that's what we do. It's a big value add move. Go in there, add our systems. Total build-out cost was around 700,000. And then we had this valuation of 3.6 million. And that was at an eight cap, which is pretty conservative. So when I say one deal changed my life, that's what we want to do with other people. We want to bring the business model and help them because they buy the real estate. We put the long yards on it and it's just a winning formula. Mm -hmm. So as you're looking at parcels, and I know there's a whole lot that goes into a market analysis and looking at a placement, but in the interest of time, you find that seven, eight, 10 acre parcel. Are you just what we would call in a conversion opportunity? Are you just white boxing it? Do you just start with gravel and let's fence the perimeter, light it, and then we'll see if somebody says, hey, I need 30 parking spaces, and then you put fencing up and carve out entrance exit for them? Or do you construct it with, again, now the history that you have and recognizing that, you know, we're going to fit X number of spaces in here because that's usually what the market wants and we're going to charge X. Is it the chicken or the egg? <laughs> there's two phases to it. Like there's the prepping of the construction of the site. You want to do that in one blanket just because of cost. You want your site work guys in there. You want to do it at once. Water retention, all that stuff. Now the lease up, pre-lease up, like Long Airs has its own multiple feasibility studies to make sure before we've even gotten to that point that we're making sure there's success. We want to take the risk out of it. And also there's a massive pre-lease up phase that we take on. But going into it, like we're adapting to the marketplace. And when I say that is because long yards as more than storage, it's not just contractor storage yards. Like we have facilities, like the facility in Ottawa is close to like a car dealerships and an old kind of like place where they scrap cars, even though our zoning is not a scrap car. But we're finding based in that area that we have a whole different niche of clients as opposed to the contractors and traditional industrial storage clients. So in certain pockets, of town, you have just different industrial sectors of businesses that are just kind of organically in that area. So we have different marketing strategies to them, as well as the traditional organic contractor marketing strategies. We've kind of set ourselves up 
to understand each market inside and our avatar client that's the most common we're really trying to hit home for success but we do have your kind of bread and butter sweet spot of the yards that are the most common and that we just found is like that's great but we're also pivoting it in an area that we're making our design modular so our fencing moves around everything moves around there's tax advantages there's build up advantages there's acquisition like we want to be in and out fast and leased up quick that's what we're finding in the marketplace is a big challenge i talked to a lot of multifamily guys and it's like by the time you get through the process with these projects it's been such a lengthy process that you're just kind of like you want to do something different us the game is speed find the property quickly and we have all of our feasibility study and quick of the math before we get into the detail on the writing make sure that works and then all of our strategies to do our guerrilla marketing campaigns get a leased up and then the strategy to lease it up on the land is unique to the parcel but when i say it's modular we have our okay here's what the market's telling us we need to market for and then here's how we kind of keep it general for the rest. I hope that answers it. It does. And we bought one project, a 200,000 square foot building, and it had storage in it and we had self-storage in it. And so we had a basic unit mix that based upon what the market we felt would bear, but then the rest of it was office space. And then we had some larger industrial warehousing. And that's the reason why I asked, because in the office space, we moved doors around and we installed doors. We took doors out and drywalled them again, and we'd make an office suite or we'd take it away. It was co-working space. It was entrepreneurial co-working space, essentially. And then the same thing for our large warehouses, especially when the last recession hit, we were holding on to this in 2008. And all of a sudden, our 20,000 square foot warehouses, nobody wanted that. And they were giving it up. But everybody wanted a seven to 10,000 square foot warehouse. And so we were putting fences down the middle and leasing those out all day long. So we'd advertise it in a warehouse, build a suit. You don't do that in a long yard. I expect to say build a suit. But you're right. You know what the market there's a demand for because you know your product now, but then leaving a portion of it open for the folks that want to come in and take up, gobble up all of it. That way you don't have to, the expense of putting up the fencing and figuring logistically where to put it. Or if somebody says, well, I can't take all of it down, but I can take X. Well, then you do that. You take that lease, you put up the fence and then you advertise uh, the balance of it. So smart move. I figured it as much, but I just wanted to ask, tell me, is it difficult to find these spots? And with that, I know with Boat and RV, there's a huge demand for that. I'm just going to go back and compare as well that people are willing to try travel, they know it's not going to be like self-storage where they can go within three miles and find it near their house. But an RV storage is in high demand and know that they have to travel further and they're okay because they don't use their boats and their RVs very often. So they'll travel the extra three to five times length and time frame that they would for just their storage. Is that what you're finding with the contractors as well, that you're not necessarily really looking to be next to a neighborhood or high population, but you're just finding a cost per acre and being able to find seven to 10 near the metropolitan statistical area? Or how do you go about your site selection? Yeah. So, I mean, first we have to target a great market. There's got to be something great growth, low unemployment, like crime rates. There's, there's a lot of internal data that we're targeting. I mean, on a, to keep it simple, I mean, Florida and Texas are two just great markets. That's why I moved to Florida. It was my wife and I, I'm like, I wanted Texas. She wanted Florida because the family were in Florida. She won, but it was one of those two. Oh, wait a minute. From Canada to Florida, you don't you miss the winters? Don't you miss all the snow activities? <laughs> it was great. I was on a chocolate guide yesterday and the guy's like, well, you know, in Florida, we have snakes, we have spiders, we have hurricanes, we have swamps, we have gators. It's like, but a beach shoveling snow. <laughs> I'm like, I'll take it any day. So yeah, I do not miss the cold. That's for sure. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. So Florida, Texas, just on a very high level to very, very great markets because you just see so much migration coming towards these two. And that means new job growth, new business opportunities. And long years is it's kind of like another way to look at it as an incubator for a small business, right? Because 
you're kind of at the middle ground when a small business is growing and they can't afford a space and they get here, they get set up and then they kind of they branch off or they can stay there as their headquarters. But when we have three or four surrounding the town, then we kind of go into more corporate. You can have more corporate locations for just utility providers. And there's a whole bunch of branches that we're going to go off into. But yeah, the market first. And then, yeah, it surprisingly very difficult to find a parcel, even if it says outside storage, that does not mean it's going to work. So it's good <laughs> because it's so hard to find these that we want to be landlocked and gridlocked and protected in our area. And that's it. We're very like focused on the territory right now. We're trying to spread out. That's why we built a franchise model to spread this faster because it's a very gridlock and territorial industry. You're going to find, I'm optimistic that long ears are going to start popping up. And then it's like, oh, that one has this area. And now it's hard to touch it because we have the market for that demand in that area because it, it's very different to the rest of the marketplace. But Hopefully that answers your question on the very high level marketplace, at least first, and then it goes to the zoning after. Yep, 100%, 100%. So not dramatically different than what we look at for a new development per se coming into a market. We do want the the strong demographics and strong demand and all the underlying characteristics of the market that we check the boxes on. But again, this is a little bit different because you can go a little bit outside of that box in terms of where people are actually going to travel to and find those unique pieces of ground. My next two questions is the ground itself. Zoning, I know that is key, obviously having that or changing the zoning or the ability to to and talking with the zoning offices. To that extent, why don't you speak to that for a moment? And then are you also looking at doing some of the heavy lifting? Like say you find something that is not necessarily a brownfield, but it's just that has issues that is unattractive for other uses, is perfect for long yards, but you still have maybe some work to do in exchange for a, a low price. Does that factor into some of your search? So could you speak to those two pieces? Yeah, it's great. So starting with the second one, we have two business models. Obviously, we have the real estate and the long yard storage. The long yard storage, you want to be up and running as quick as you can. But the real estate model on the second side of it, it presents so many different opportunities. It's almost playful. And if you find properties, that's the thing that's unique about us. We could find a property like you just mentioned that has certain easements or issues on, let's say, a third of it. We're up and running and we're cash flowing on the first thirds or quarter or half, whatever the case may be, while we're working through the weeds as most people know, things take so long to go through that we can work on whether or not it's a zoning change or we're going to sever off a part or add a cell phone tower. Like we have so many different models on what we can do with the real estate in that scenario. So yeah, we're not going to shy away. How we're building on the business model of acquisition is speed right now. We're more focused on clean acquisitions that we know we could be up and running and just faster and hit the market harder that way. But it's very opportunity based and I'm not going to say no to that. And then can you clarify the first question again, is the market? Yeah. So when you're looking at the market and you're looking at zoning, which is very important to this piece, are you specifically looking for the zoning to already be there? Are you looking for the least amount of lift, meaning that you're going to at least have to get a variance? Are you shying away from anything where you have to change the entire use of it? Do you not know that until you walk into the zoning office and then determine whether you're going to walk away or go through the process? To give you an idea, we had a property in North Carolina and everything checked, feasibility numbers, two thirds down, wasn't disclosed to us, but the property was flooding. And this is like, so we had to walk away from that deal, but everything checked on the surface. You don't really know until you take your highest and best use drawings, you go to the office and you say, okay, this is what we want to do. Does the local community support what you're trying to do? And because we're going in there with the edge of saying, hey, this is actually like Long Yards is supporting the small business community. Like if you think about it, we're kind of in a way a general contractor of all the small businesses in the area and we want to help support them. So when we're going to the community 
and we're saying, hey, this is what we want to do, and this is why we want to do it. It's more why than how. And when you tell that story, and it helps them go with you and work with you because they want to see their brother's contracting business and they know that this is a problem in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So in most cases, if you're coming along with the right attitude, the right story and really supporting everybody, then the locals, municipality and whatnot, they'll help you nudge it across the finish line. Of course, there's like, you got to make sure that in most cases, in most industrials, some commercial, yeah, I'm trying to stray away from agricultural. Again, there are two business models, the real estate and long yards, but I don't want to get too complicated right now with long processes. Like we want to hit the ground running with the right property in the right area. So right now our short-term focus and strategy is get the right people behind us, get the right parcels and just hit the ground running. And I imagine part of that is part of getting the zoning board and the the cities or the towns on board is that you're supplying this one big yard for all these contractors to take what they may view as these unsightly trailers or trucks or what have you. And even if they're, we know that they can't be in all the neighborhoods, but even in the neighborhoods in which they are permitted, they would still rather them be somewhere else offsite and not in the neighborhoods and not on their town. And so I imagine that is one of the angles that you may use. Yeah. And like where I am, my HOAs are so bad. If I have weeds in my garden or leave my garbage out one night, I got a warning. <laughs> I can't even park my contractor trailer in the front. So all I got to do is say, HOAs, this is where we help that. And like, oh my God, we'll help promote you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Chris, as we wind down here, tell us the grander vision. I mean, you touched on it earlier in that you want to build a portfolio to either perhaps refinance, recapitalize, and then operate going into the future or maybe sell off. What does that look like? What does the next, say, five to 10 years hold? Great question. I love it. I'm all in. Like I moved from Canada to the States. And when I say I'm all in, like when I went all in on long years, the first time I sold my houses because no one was like, you're crazy, Chris. And then it blew up. Now I'm all in again. I sold my personal house. I moved to the States. And I see a big vision for long yards and I'm all in behind it to make it happen. And what I see as long yards is being in every neighborhood possible. I mean, it's international. We're building out in Canada and in the States. We just see the demand there. And because we've spent so much time identifying our avatar, our marketing campaigns, pivoting our model to make it perfect, we feel like we have a great foundation to really get the right people behind us and just acquire and expand. So right now, our goals, to expand. I mean, I want to start in South. One big thing is if I can stay away from snow in the short term, which is funny, our biggest expense and something I don't miss at all, I'll stay away from the snow. So, but organically from the South Eastern border, but if the opportunity is there and the right people are behind us, I'm ready to go. 100%, 100%. Well, Chris, once again, it's been a long time coming since we have you on the podcast and uh, being a part of the mastermind for a while now and being uh, blown away. I'm glad that we're able to get together and uh, share this with other folks as well. So if you could, with that, why don't you leave us the best piece of advice that you've ever been given by somebody that has helped you out along the way, or maybe even that you just learned on your own as you started your own business? Yeah, I got my butt kicked a lot. I have scars. And I think one of the most powerful lessons is learn to say no quick. It's what you're not doing usually that determines your success. So focus and don't get distracted by the lady in the red dress. You know, stay focused and say no to opportunities. If you're doing what you believe in and you're staying true to it, I think you're more likely to see success. And that's a hard thing to say and it's harder to do, but I think that's one of the most powerful lessons I've learned. 
Yep, I can't even remember now where I saw the acronym, but I've used it several times since then. And that FOCUS stands for Follow One Course Until Success. And it truly is uh, what it means. I said another way, I think it was Confucius who was given credit. Man who chases two rabbits catches none. So <laughs> it is always good to just focus on one. So appreciate that, Chris. And appreciate your time once again. Glad to have you on. And we'll have to do round two, as I imagine there's going to be a whole lot of folks that may have questions and that are going to hit the like button and subscribe after listening to this podcast if they haven't already. So Chris, is there a website that you want to point anybody out to maybe showcase or highlight what it is that you're doing? Yeah. If anyone wants to find us, find us at longyards.com, Facebook longyards. My email is clong at longyards.com. And I don't mind putting my number out there, 941-278-1995. Give me a call. I'm happy to talk with anybody. Fantastic. All right, Chris. So appreciate you. Appreciate your time. Looking forward to seeing you at the next Mastermind, bud. See you soon, Scott. All right. Take care. Hey, gang. Wait. Three things before you leave. First, don't forget to subscribe to the Self Storage Podcast and turn on your notifications so you never miss another episode. And while you're there, please leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Second, be sure to share your favorite episodes and more via Instagram and don't forget to tag us. And lastly, head to the links in the show description and hit the following subscribe button on Twitter and Facebook to get a front row seat as we grow and scale our business and bring you along with us. Take care.